I used to love to play soccer. When I was a kid, I would play in the town league. Then when I was old enough, I played on the school team and on travel teams. I played in college, and even when I went to seminary, we were able to put together a team from our small school and play against the Catholic seminary right across the street from us. It was always funny when we would begin with a prayer together saying the Lord's Prayer. That's when uh, what two teams do when all the players go to seminary. Uh, we would repeat the ancient words together and everything would be fine until the Catholics said amen and all the Protestants kept going with for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Around that time I started having some trouble physically. I would run a mile or two playing indoor soccer and feel like the bottom half of my legs were going to fall off. I didn't know exactly what was going on, and I didn't have any health insurance to cover medical exp expenses, so I would just slather my knees in Icy Hot and wear a knee brace that helped for a little while, but in time the pain became so excruciating I finally had to make the painful decision to stop playing soccer. My favorite sport was no longer an option. For years, I didn't play. And because I couldn't play what I wanted to, I didn't play anything. I didn't swim or bike. I couldn't find anyone that was bad at tennis like me but still really enjoyed playing it. Uh, as work took more and more of my time, I just stopped playing sports and doing any kind of exercise. You can imagine what happened. I got slow. I got lazy. I gained 20 pounds. Don't ask me where I hide it. Uh, when, my, when my two boys came along, they wanted to be chased around the house and wrestle all the time. I had to institute water breaks for every five minutes of playtime together. It's only in the last year what, that I uh, started biking with my dog. Yes, biking with my dog. Uh, every chance that I got that I began to turn my health around. That daily act of getting my heart rate up, then going up those big hills we have in town, has me built up. I stop gaining weight. I feel better. I am getting stronger, and I can play games with my boys longer. Physical exercise is a blessing that leads to a happier, healthier life. And in a similar way, spiritual exercise leads to a happier, healthier life, too. Throughout the season of Lent, we are going to explore five spiritual exercises that will keep us connected with God. Last week, we talked about how we need to value what God values, not what the world values. This is how we do it. These five spiritual exercises are the way to keep God's values at the center of our lives, as well as spiritually and, and, and uh, mentally healthy and strong. We begin today with worship and prayer. Let's hear our scripture for today from Psalm 95. Kathy Ann? <clears throat> oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is great God the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are <clears throat> his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. And from Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in our prayer of preparation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, a massive study was done on youth and religion. Researchers wanted to find out if attending church made a difference in young people's lives. It was called the National Study of Youth and Religion, and what they discovered floored me. Not only did church make a difference, it had a profound impact on the lives of these young people. They did telephone interviews with thousands of young people across the country, then did hundreds more of one-on-one interviews. Here's just a few of the results of this research. They found regular church attendance increases the average life expectancy of a child by eight years, significantly reduces your child's use and risk from alcohol, tobacco, and drugs, dramatically lowers their risk of suicide, helps them rebound from depression 70% faster, dramatically reduces their risk for committing a crime, improves their attitude at school, and increases their school participation. It reduces the likelihood that they would binge drink in college. It improves their odds for a very happy life. And it even gets them to wear their seatbelts more often. Church, though, it's not just good for kids. Adults have all kinds of positive benefits, too. More religious adults have better sleep at night, uh, more so than less religious people. Like teens, we have less risk for depression and suicide. Couples that attend weekly worship together say they have significantly higher relationship quality. And I won't go into the the juicy benefits they described in the study. Uh, Religiously active older adults have lower blood pressure than those who are not active. And finally, despite longing for heaven, religion seems to keep us here on earth longer than others. Going to church weekly reduced the risk of dying by 33% and mortality risk by 26%. It didn't remove that risk altogether, but it reduced that risk. Something about church helps keep us alive. Maybe it's the Welch's grape juice. I don't know. But there's no denying it. Church is good for you. It comes as no surprise to me, then, that God would make it a command to worship. God wants what is good for us, and worship is good for you. You might be wondering what exactly counts as worship. A few years ago, I was wondering that myself as we were figuring things out for adding a second service in our church. What is required? What do you have to have for something to be worship? And the requirements are pretty straightforward. You have to gather together, you present the word of God, you respond to the word of God, and then you leave. 
easy. There's no requirement for an organ or piano. You don't have to have pews or stained glass, no pulpit, no ushers or offering or choir as much as we absolutely love you. Uh, Just people gathered to hear from and respond to God. That's it. All those other things can help in the process, but you don't have to have them. What worship is truly about has nothing to do with what we typically think of when we hear the word worship. It's not a piano played. It's a song in your heart. It's not a Bible read out loud. It's the Holy Spirit at work inside you. Real worship, as Evelyn Underhill says, is the primary and appropriate response of the creature to the creator. She goes on to explain that this doesn't even need to stop at what we human beings do. Everything in the universe, seen and unseen, conscious and unconscious, is participating in this act of worship. That's a pretty spectacular idea. The universe itself is worshiping. Birds can't help but sing. Flowers can't help but bloom. And in it all, God is glorified. I think of my two boys and how they have spent their entire lives going to bed by 7.30 p.m. And only when dad is in charge telling ridiculous bedtime stories is it later at 8 p.m. But uh, we live here in Bergen County where light pollution is everywhere. That means not once in their entire lives have they ever seen the stars. Now, they'll tell you that they have, because when we drive home late at night and they look up and they see seven stars in the sky, they think that they have seen the stars. They haven't been to a place with no light pollution and seen the thousands and hundreds of thousands. And if they use a telescope at the top of a mountain, the millions of stars in the sky. I can't wait to take them to a place where they can really see it with shooting stars, maybe even spotting the wisps of the Milky Way. Those stars and cosmic signs declare God's glory. They cry out that God is creator and we are his creation. Some may wonder, how can we be sure God is the creator? Doesn't science tell us that time and space came from a tiny, super-condensed ball of energy and matter? I don't pretend to know much about such things, so I will defer to the experts. What I can tell you is that whether you believe in one universe, cyclical universes, or parallel universes, we don't have a good answer for where any of it came from. I choose to believe that when nothing became something, it was made by a creator. So I choose to honor that creator, and the day I do that on is called the Sabbath. Now, that may sound a bit strange, but Sabbath just means a day to rest from your labor. It's a day meant to be just for God. We can worship together or even on our own, but it seems to me that scripture expects both of those things to happen. We gather together to connect with one another. This is where many of those benefits of worship I mentioned at the beginning come from. Uh, Last week, I said that it was Dorothy DeSandra's 97th birthday. Uh, I remember back when she was injured and had to go to the hospital, you expect the pastor to show up, and I was delayed in seeing her, and I apologize for that, but uh, you expect me to be there. You expect 
her daughter and son-in-law, Rick Winkler, who is here with us to be there. Uh, but you know who else went to visit Dorothy? Christina and Suzanne. They went to see her. They were in the choir with her for years, so they went to see her. Then the person from our caring ministry team showed up. Over and over, the church kept showing up. That's what we do when we are connected together through worship. We are like a, a cell phone. We, we need to be charged up by the word of God that is shared between us. It happens through the music, through communion and prayer and anointing. The sermon hopefully speaks to you and encourages you. And when you leave, you want to be able to get through your week with a word from the Lord. When we hit those rough patches, though, we need each other. We need that reminder that God is with us, and we know it when we are there for one another. Now, you can also worship on your own. We offer a, a podcast that has uh, the sermon available each week. Uh, that's a good good thing to listen to and reflect on that, but perhaps the clearest reflection of the individual in worship is the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is one person in prayer to God. It's just you and the Lord. As beautiful and helpful as these individual acts of worship may be, they still can't replace the community that comes with weekly worship together. It connects us to one another and leads to all those amazing benefits I mentioned at the start. We need both. I think that's what God wants in prescribing worship. God wants us to connect together, encourage each other, pray for one another, and by ourselves as we are charged up for the week ahead. Don't let your spiritual batteries die. Recharge. In fact, I want to issue a bit of a challenge for you all today. Uh, if you come to church every Sunday through Lent, including Easter, and you put your name and address in the little red book, uh, I'll send you a small appreciation at the end of the season. See if those seven Sundays in a row don't change you in some way for the better. Some people may feel like they don't know how to pray outside of worship in church. Well, I like the Acts Prayer, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, which is asking for needs. We are usually pretty good with that last one, asking for what we need. But when we praise God, confess our sin, and give thanks, there are very real benefits in our life, just as there is with weekly worship. When we give thanks, we are showing gratitude, which improves the function of every organ in our body. A gratitude journal is shown to lower depression. It helps you sleep better and improves heart function. One doctor says that if gratitude were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product because it does so much to improve our health. We can also pray together with others in the church or at home and all on our own. It's the easy act of worship that you can take with you everywhere you go. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us we should pray without ceasing, meaning our entire lives can be filled with prayer. Not only does it improve your health, 
it also moves you closer to God so that your life might become a living hallelujah. I want to share one thing, uh, one final thing with you before we wrap up. Uh, on Christmas Eve 2018, uh, we had the children up for a children's moment. And I asked my two boys up there. It was a, a live moment. It was, uh, I had never asked my boys this before. I didn't prep them for it. I said, how do you feel about having a foster brother or sister? Because we had decided, Emily and I, we had decided we were going to become, we were going to go through the training for foster, to be foster parents. And uh, my oldest, Davey, he said, I love that. That's really exciting. And my younger one, Halloran, he said, I hate babies. <laughs> I was thoroughly embarrassed, uh, especially on Christmas Eve. But uh, that's how it goes, right? And after a year of waiting, we finally got the call on Monday. And on Tuesday, we went to the hospital and we met baby Natalia Rose. Uh, technically, she has no name. She was abandoned in the hospital. And uh, so uh, we have to go through a process to even get her a name. But in the meantime, we've been calling her Rosie. Uh, so I want to share with you, this is my five-year-old with baby Rosie right there. So he doesn't look so sad with a baby in his arms, does he? He looks pretty happy there. And uh, there's me with Rosie, and the last one is that beautiful child. She is a sweet, sweet baby. And um, I'd like to uh, have baby Rosie come into the room now. My wife, Emily, she's going to bring in baby Rosie. Um, so here she is. <laughs> she's going to come down the aisle so you can get a closer look at her. Uh, but no germs, please. <laughs> we are fostering this baby because of worship and prayer. Our daily experiences with God in these ways shape us, and they draw us to God. It has formed a community around us that allows us to do big things, it has also led to dozens of people stepping up to help us, and we praise God for that. We have been overwhelmed with an outpouring of love this past week. I don't want to jump ahead in this series, but consider this a sneak peek at the result that comes from worship and prayer. When we worship and pray, we find life. We find life for us. We find it for others. And we find it for the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.